Everybody say, there's a scarecrow in your melon patch. One more time, there's a scarecrow in your melon patch. Real quick, how many of you were not here last week? You were not here. Raise your hand. You're right. Hey, go get the CD. I want you to get the CD because last week sets up really what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks now. If, if, this, if this were a book, yeah, last week was the kind of the introduction. The next three weeks will be the three individual chapters that we kind of unload and, and uncork and develop and work through. And so today I want to kind of like take you on a new journey. And, 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 and the, whole, the whole series is based on a scripture in the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 10, Jeremiah is one of those old school prophets. And the reason why he's got to be a little old school is because the nation that he's living in has gone corrupt. They have literally abandoned God and begin to worship the other gods of the surrounding nations and all their idols and all their statues and their, their, their human sacrifices and all of the crazy stuff that they do. And Jeremiah the prophet gets up in the midst of this and basically starts just chucking the corn. He starts letting them know that what they're doing is, is in essence a, a spiritual adultery. It, it is a, a spiritual um, corruption. It is a, it is a spiritual betrayal. That they have abandoned God and begin to worship after the, the surrounding nations and all, like I said, the idols and statues and the, the different things that were surrounding them. He said, not only that, because you've done this, like the hand of God is off your life and, and, and judgment is coming. And this is what you need to do about their idols. They have to go into the woods. They got to chop down some trees. They have to take it to a craftsman. They have to adorn it with silver and gold and then they have to prop it up. Because those idols, they are like a scarecrow in a melon patch. Because it's a weird series if you don't know what this is all rooted in. It's rooted in Jeremiah chapter 10. It's the idea that many of us, you and I, we don't worship little shrines and little statues. And we don't do that anymore. We're much more sophisticated now. Now we have idols that are a little bit more unique, and they're hidden in our heart. And so when, when Jeremiah talks about the idols and the scarecrows and the melon patch, we bring it into our modern day, we realize that you and I, and, and here's what you need to know for those of you who are nice, we all have them. This isn't like a good people have them or, or bad people have them and good people don't or, or Christians don't and all the world does. As a matter of fact, when you look at who Jeremiah was talking to, Jeremiah was talking to the people of God. He wasn't talking to the heathen nations around them. That's not what he was doing. He's saying, you're the people of God. If anybody should, should tear down the idols, it should be you. And here's what an idol is. An idol is when we put our hope in other things and not make them just good things, but make them ultimate things. And what you and I have to do is basically go back and begin to examine and expose the areas of our heart where we've got these hidden things that we make bigger than God, more important than God, and the ultimate thing. And here's what I mean by an idol. An idol says this, if you could just have this, it would make your life complete. That's what an idol says to you. It communicates that to you. If you only, that's why if you really want to know where the idols of your heart for, are, come from, you got to ask yourself, what are the things I long for? What are, the things I what are the things I daydream about when I'm not focused on something? Where does my heart naturally go to? What are the things that I fear the most? What are the things that I make the biggest priority? Where are the things that outside of my basic necessities that I spend my money on? These are the things. They're the things in life that, that we tell ourselves, and the idol says this to you, that if you ever lost this, your life would have no meaning. It's the idols. And you know what? Inside of our heart, with many of us, we got an idol factory. We've got layers of idols. We've got multiple idols. And so today, I'm going to take a look at something fascinating. It, it's, how many of you watch TV, like, and you got like the pre-recordings on your television set for all the drama shows? Okay, what do y'all watch? Does anybody want to confess in church? Okay, 
Are any of y'all watching Real Housewives out there? I see some head shaking. No, no real confess. Housewives of L.A., Beverly Hills, Philadelphia, Louis. How many of y'all just watch Duck Dynasty? That's, yeah, it's, woo! You, all right, I have a confession. There was a show. I was bored this summer, and we didn't have any shows to watch. And me and my wife are, are flipping around. We can't find nothing to watch. So we go to Netflix, and, and there's a show that had a high star rating on it. And we thought, well, we're bored. We will not got no TV to watch during the summer because, you know, they, all the TV shows are canceled. And so we start watching a show. Now, don't you dare judge me. And you guys especially don't judge me because I'm going to tell you it's a, it's a girly show. Okay, I shouldn't watch this. Just Okay, so we start, we start watching this show called Grey's Anatomy. Has anybody watched Grey's Anatomy? Oh, don't you, don't you amen up in here like that. Let me just tell you right now, that, that show is crazy. It's, it's like, I literally watched enough episodes now where I'm like, all they do is say, hmm, how can we just make this more dramatic? That's all the show is about. It's like, and, and, and pardon me, but this is the truth. It's like, who's going to sleep with who next, and then how can we make it crazier? That's the, in essence, it is, it is pure drama. So for those of you that love the drama and you love the gray and the real housewives and all the other nutty shows that you watch, I'm telling you, y'all need to read your Bibles. <laughs> okay, for two, number one, you, you ought to probably stop watching that many shows and read your Bible. That's true. I think that's why some of you are laughing. That's not what I meant by that, though. Because what y'all need to do is start watching uh, Real Housewives of Israel. I'm about to break off a story for y'all, and I can't even tell the whole story. There, I just can't, I don't have enough time to tell the whole story. In the book of Genesis, if you have your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 20, because I want to break off for you a story that is on par with Grey's Anatomy, that is on par with Real Housewives. It is going to just show you the drama and the, and the weirdness and the issues, and it's going to expose in all of us, I'm telling you, it's in all of us, an idol that every one of us at some point in our life struggles with and deals with. Let's pray before we read the scriptures. Bow your heads, close your eyes. When the Father speak to us, God, we pray that the scriptures would become alive, that they would speak truth, that they would challenge us. Today it might be hard to, to find like this one overarching principle of this, but God, inside of this story, we see the longing that every human being has. God, help us to shine the light on the longing in our heart. And God, find the right way to meet those desires. God, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Amen. Everybody say Jacob. So today we're going to read a story about a guy named Jacob. He has an uncle named Laban. There's a couple of daughters named Rachel and Leah. You got the main characters? This is the drama and the story that unfolds. Now, the main character is Jacob because Jacob is, is a part of the patriarchal family. There is Abraham, Isaac, and everybody say there's Jacob. So Jacob is the third son here now in, in, in the big storyline of Genesis. Genesis is a big family drama, if you don't know that. Once you get past creation and then some of the founding stories of human history, you get into a big family drama. And the drama of Jacob is this. Here's what you need to know about Jacob. Jacob starts off in his life a certain way. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that in the womb, he struggled and fought with his brother. And you'll see that Jacob struggled and fought for the same thing his entire life. The Bible referred to it as a blessing, but underneath that you'll see something different by the end of the day, that he was longing for something that you and I long for. And so even in his, in his mom's belly, they are struggling, and the Bible talks about how like even when his brother was born, there were twins, Jacob and Esau, that when his brother was born, he literally is grabbing the heel of his brother as his brother is born, and so they named him that. They named him Heel Catcher which was basically their way of saying that he was a deceiver and he was trying to give 
ahead and trick and manipulate and do anything that he could to get ahead. And so Jacob, this kind of plays out in his whole life because when he gets a little bit older, his dad takes favorites. His dad likes the older son better. The older son is kind of like, you know, more of a man's man, hunter-gatherer, rugged, hair on his chest at the age of nine, and just, okay, maybe that's not true, but he was really hairy is what the Bible says. I don't know what age this happened. I embellished there, forgive me, the way I saw it. But Jacob, the Bible says, a little bit of a mama's boy. Wasn't like his older brother Esau. They, 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 they came from the same mom and dad, but they came out two totally different. And, and so Jacob had his mama's love. Always felt a little bit overlooked by his dad. But he was crafty. He was smart. See, his, his mom had taught him the ways of how to get things done even when you can't go kill something to get something done. And so, literally, he tricks his older brother into giving him the birthright. That's how he does. He just kind of says, hey, you know, he kind of manipulates the situation and tricks his brother into giving him this kind of blessing and birthright, which is a big deal in their culture. Later in his life, he actually tricks his dad. He actually, his dad is going blind in his old age and is about to die. And before he dies, he's going to pass on the inheritance and blessing to the two kids. So while Esau ain't around, Jacob dresses up like Esau smells like Esau, puts on some hairy stuff so he feels like Esau, and he tricks his dad. Now, I mean, that's pretty jacked up. You're kind of a dysfunctional person. To lie, to trick, to grab heels and try to get ahead, that's just the type of person that he was. Well, how many of you know that didn't sit well with Mr. Hunter-Gatherer? And Mr. Hunter-Gatherer has all the bows and arrows and spears and blades and knives, and he keeps it ready, and he literally says, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob runs. He flees to his mom's homeland. His mom was, was from the east, and basically he just knew, oh, I got family over there. I'm going to head east. And so sure enough, he flees from his brother because he fears for his life. And as he heads east, he ends up finding Uncle Laban. Here's the deal, though. Uncle Laban had two daughters. And here's where we pick up the story. He goes to work for Uncle Laban, but he has the hots for his cousin. Okay. I told you it was weird. But in, in their defense, that was pretty normal in their day to do the cousin thing, even though that's still really weird. Okay, Genesis chapter 29, look at verse number 14 with me. The Bible says, after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters, everybody say two daughters. This is important to the story and where we're going today. The name of the older one was Leah, the name of the younger one was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, so she needed glasses. That's not what that means. Okay, I'm not trying to be mean, but there's two ways of, of interpreting this, but the main way of interpreting is this. She was ugly. I, I mean, I'm like trying not, I'm trying to, she was unpleasant to the eye. She did not look good. She was not, y'all get that, okay, good. Because I don't want to be mean to Leah, because I like Leah by the end of the story. So, so Leah had weak eyes. Because, you know, if this was referring to her eyesight, they would have said, but Rachel had 20-20 vision. And that's not what it says. It says Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel what? She had a lovely figure and was beautiful. It doesn't say like she was pretty. It said she had a, basically, she had a smoking body and she was really, you know, she was really pretty in the face. It was like, this is important. 
I'm not trying to make light of something. We're going somewhere with this. Next verse says this in verse 18. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years. Everybody say seven years. In return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, here's what you need to know. This was an exorbitant amount of money to pay for a daughter. In their day and time, they would give a, a, a certain dowry, a certain amount of money to the father in return for the, for the daughter's hand in marriage. And that was pretty normal. This was seven years worth of work? Holy cow. I don't know what she looked like or what kind of a deal Laban had. Uh, as we'll see in just a minute, Laban is actually uh, trying to get back at Jacob for all the things that Jacob had sowed in his life, if that makes sense. Jacob was a deceiver. He's about to get got. Not only is this, but as a Jewish person reads this, they always think of numbers in terms of what they represent and what they mean in Scripture. And the number seven is the number of completion. And this is, in essence, as a Jewish person would read this, they would say, oh. See, Jacob thinks that if he has her, he'll be fulfilled inside he'll be complete he'll he'll have it all he will have the longing of his heart he will finally have it so he goes i'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter rachel next verse says this it says but laban said well it's better that i give her to you than to some other man so stay with me so jacob served seven years to get rachel but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her now, there's a lot of girls in here being like, hmm, that's the kind of man I want. I'm his everything. The Bible is painting a slightly different picture. It's laced throughout all these different words and phrases. And this, that, the, that Jacob was so enraptured, he was so caught up in, he was so in his mind and in his head and his heart so over the top thinking, I've got to have Rachel. So then, in verse 21, Jacob says to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love for her. Who says that to your future father-in-law? I, I, I swear on your life, I, you may be five years old today. If you ever come to my daughters, who are six and three, and say that to me, I will jack you. You will never be found. <laughs> there's no body. There's no crime. You will be lost. Ever say that to me? Am I like, like here's, again, I'm not being crass. This is why we have childcare people. Um, my time is completed and I want to make love to her. This was radical language in the, Hebrew, in the Hebrew language. Like if you go read all of the Hebrew scriptures, this stuff is, is that's over the top. That is the equivalent of a, of a guy literally coming to his future father-in-law saying, there's too many kids in here, um, uh, let, let's do a little dance. Let's make a little love. Let's get down tonight. That's what, that's what he's saying about us. It's the best I could do, people. It's like child care, trust me. So Laban, listen to what happens. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. This is what you do for weddings. You big old feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter, Leah. Now, is that the, is that the right daughter? No, he was supposed to hook up with Rachel. But the dad brings Leah and brought her to Jacob, and then Jacob made love to her. This is an accident. They were heavily veiled, and there was lots of wine. I'm telling you, you just got to put your kids in childcare so I can break this off right. There's, that Jacob is so intoxicated, and she's so heavily veiled, it must have been dark out. And he accidentally 
the wrong daughter. Not because he wanted to, but because the dad set it up. This is in the Bible. Get mad at God if you don't like these stories. These stories are fascinating, though. So verse 25 says, when morning came, there was Leah with an exclamation point. You know, can you imagine that morning? Like, guys, I don't know if you're married or not. Like, you're like, you think you just had a big wedding feast? Boy, last night was crazy, and you went to wake up with a headache, and you're like, you're like you know, <laughs> what? You know, you're doing one of those. It's Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, this, is, this conversation happened as quick as possible, I bet. What is this that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Have, why have you what? Deceived me. I'm telling you, you reap what you sow in life. And it's fascinating to think that Jacob lived his whole life trying to grab other people's heels and manipulate and deceive and get ahead. And what he had done his whole life had come back to haunt him. Laban says this in return. Well, is it not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before, before the older? Or it is not our custom here. And, and it wasn't. But he didn't tell Jacob that. In this one of those moments where we're like, uh, 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 you could have told somebody about this little custom of yours seven years ago. You imagine you just worked seven years straight to have the hand of Rachel. And all of a sudden you wake up and it's Leah. It's not what you wanted. So, let me take a pause here. Let's talk. Let's talk about the idol of the heart. In our culture, in our day, and in all of us, there's a longing for this thing, to be loved and to be accepted. We all have it in us, it is hardwired into us. And we live a whole life making idols out of romance, out of love, out of sex, and out of relationship, and out of marriage. Now let me ask you this, and again, this is what you need to know about idols, is that some idols are good things that we turn into ultimate things. So is God anti-marriage? No, of course not. He says that it's, it's a good thing when a man finds a wife, that marriage is a blessed thing, that's a divine idea. So, so the problem with many of the idols is that we took good things and made them ultimate things. And it's not that I want you to, to love your spouse less or to not like marriage. I just want you to love God more. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Like, don't walk out and say, well, this guy's anti-marriage. No, I've been married for 12 plus years, and I love it. I did two weddings this weekend, and I loved it. I'm all about marriage, and I think marriage is a blessed, is a blessed deal. But when it becomes the ultimate thing and the thing that you long for and the thing that if you, and there's some of you out there that are single, you thought, if I just have, and some of you think, if, if I ever lose it, and we got all these ways of going through the world, of, of, and it's all rooted in one big idea, that we all long to be accepted. And so we go about it in many different ways. And many, many of us, there's an old saying that, that women use sex to get love, and men use love to get sex. Either way, it's dysfunctional. No matter what stereotype is true, it's the wrong way to go about it. And we're literally making an idol out of, if I could just have this. There are some women out there, and guys, you fall into this category too. There's some of you that you thought, if I could just have her, if I could just have him, it would make me satisfied inside. Some of you ladies out there, if a guy, if you're not on a guy's arm and you don't have a guy in your life, you feel unsatisfied, incomplete, and unloved. It's rooted in a number of different things, but at the end of the day, it's an idol hidden in your heart. There's different ways that we go about doing this. Sometimes there's the older man who abandoned his wife for the younger model. 
because he thinks he'll be more satisfied if he has that on his arm. I don't know what, I don't know what that means. There's some, there's some guys, and again, it's, it's, it's a number of different ways, whether it's sex, romance, love, or marriage. There's all these different ways that you idolize it. But there's some young men out there that you pursue, you pursue, you pursue, and, and then once you get her, you're bored, and you check out, and you've idolized sex, and you've idolized getting Listen to me. If you don't think this is true, we have a trillion-dollar industry that proves that we idolize sex. We idolize it. There was a unique conversation. It was in, it was in a book by C.S. Lewis. and he t- This is in the 40s. Okay, we think the 40s is like, yeah, that's old school. Come on now. What did they do back then? In the 40s, C.S. Lewis is having a conversation. I don't know what that was. In the, in the 40s, C.S. Lewis, Lewis is having a, a conversation with critics and journalists. In his conversation, they're talking about the escalation of pornography and sex inside of culture in the 40s. And what these guys are telling him, these secular psychologists and journalists are saying, well, the problem is, is that, is, that, is that we make sex too sacred and too holy, but if we just made it so casual so that everybody had it, people wouldn't want it as bad. And, he's, and C.S. Lewis responds, and I want to read you the quote. Because he, he basically gives them this, this kind of thought and idea, and this is what I want you to follow along. I put it on the screen so it would make more sense. It says, suppose you came to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate on the stage and then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see, just before the lights went out, that it contained like a steak or a piece of bacon. Would you not think in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? And one of the critics said in response that if he had found a country in which such striptease acts with food were popular, he would conclude that the people of that country were starving. See, the reason why we have a sex issue and a pornography issue is not because we have too much of it. It's because we are starving on the inside for something more. It is because we are starving for something real, and it's not in that stuff. It's not there. So we have all these ways of taking these good things that God originally made and originally intended and we turn them into the idols of our heart. And sometimes we do this with marriage. Sometimes even in our marriages, some of you have expectations for your spouse that are so high that you crush them under the weight of your expectations. And it's because you need the marriage to fulfill all the things that you never got as a child and all the things that you missed out on and all the things that you long for and you think so desperately that that spouse is supposed to fulfill all those needs. And when they don't, you're disappointed. And some of us then respond out of those disappointments and we're so disappointed. We had our expectations so high and now our our high expectation has turned into high disappointment and we crush them under the weight of our disappointment. There are certain things, people, that only God can do for you. Everything else is like a scarecrow in a melon patch. It is dead, it is lifeless, it can do nothing for you and you will have to prop it up. You're gonna wake up, I promise you, you keep chasing down the idols of sex and romance and love and marriage thinking if I only had these things, if they were the ultimate things, if I ever lose these, I promise you. You see, here's the reality, and you know this from life experience. Every time you pursued one of those things, you did just what Jacob did. You woke up and you're like, ah, it's Leah. It never turned out the way that you wanted it to, did it? Like we've tried to make sex more casual in our culture and it has backfired on us. 
It doesn't make it easier. It makes it harder. It breaks hearts. It leaves us so much more unsatisfied because there's certain longings and certain desires that only God can fill. Every human being has in them four basic needs that only God can meet. It's love, acceptance, security, and identity. I said that really fast. I'll say it again. There are four human needs that we all have. It's love, acceptance, identity, and what is security. I think I reversed them the first time. And see, we start looking for sex, relationships, romance, marriage, that person to fulfill all those things, you will always be disappointed. You're going to wake up and it's Leah. You're going to wake up next to him. You're going to wake up next to her. You're going to get to the end of that relationship. You're going to be with that guy for three years, five years, seven years. You're going to be with that girl for three years. And, and, and then wonder why it's unfulfilling. It's because you have sought for the ultimate thing in the wrong place. It does not come in that person. Certain things only God can do. Let's keep reading. So Laban replied, well, hey, I just I probably didn't mention this to you, but it's not our custom here to give away the younger daughter before we give the older one, so I slipped in the older one when you were really drunk. So go ahead and finish the daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also <laughs> in return for seven more years of work. What would you do? You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all just go ballistic. For another seven years of work, and Jacob did so. Now Jacob has committed four years of his life to just having that one thing that he so desperately wanted. 14 years. So the Bible says in verse number 30, Jacob then at the end of that week made love to Rachel also and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Now how many know that's just a bad deal? Now again, these are patriarchal times, ancient times. This is where marrying the cousin, that wasn't a big deal. Having a few wives, that wasn't a big deal. And so again, he now has both of the daughters. He's got Leah, who don't look good, and then he's got Rachel, who must have been the, the prettiest girl in all the land because he gave up 14 years to get her. So the Bible says that this is how the story unfolds, that this is how life unfolds sometimes. And what's funny is this, is that Jacob had his way of making love an idol. But so did Leah. Watch how the story flips now. Because now for just a few verses, the story goes from Jacob's dysfunction to Leah's dysfunction. She has the same idol. She just kind of manifests it and works it out in a slightly different way. Check this out. Verse number 31 says that when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, that he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Now again, in those days, it was a huge, huge thing. As a matter of fact, for a wife to have a son was the highest, highest honor and priority that you had as a wife. Because if you had a son, you would carry on the family name and legacy, and you would provide someone to take care of you, to provide for you in your old age. And so having a son was the utmost importance to them. And so the Bible says that Rachel was childless, but the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, and so he opens up her womb. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. You see Leah's issue? Leah's like, oh, I know what I'll do. I know what I, you know what, I'll just make babies. And if I make sons, he'll love me. Can you imagine living in a home where you knew your husband didn't love you? And you knew your husband was just outright loved other things more than he loved you, said it, made it clear, it was obvious. Now, obviously they were intimate, so it wasn't she lacked for that physical intimacy, but she knew that at their core she wasn't accepted. And she thought, you know what I know? I know that I need to be accepted, and I want to be accepted, and I want to be loved, and I want to have this, and I want to have this. I know what I'll do. I'll just give him babies. And so she names her first one 
Reuben, which his name literally means, the Lord has seen my misery. She conceived again in verse 33, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So his name is Simon. His name means I am heard now. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to the third son now, and said, now at my last my husband will become what? Attached to me, because I've now given him three sons. And she named him Levi, and his name means hope. Like, I just want somebody to love me. I just want to belong. I just want to be accepted. Jacob's the same way, goes about it in a different way. See, Jacob never had the love of his dad and lost the love of his mom. Never had the acceptance of his dad and lost the acceptance of his mom. He had to flee to a foreign country. And all he wants to do is for somebody to love him. So he manifests it out. And, and, and again, it becomes the longing of his heart. I need to be loved. I need to be accepted. If I just have her, if I just have that. And Leah does the same thing. She's married to the guy. She says, if, if I just make him sons, I'm sure that he'll love me. Then he'll be attached to me. Do you see the issue? Do you see how the story unfolds? See, there, here's the deal. If you keep living a life where you make love, romance, sex, and marriage the idol of your heart, you are always going to be disappointed in life. You just are. There's certain things only God can do for you. Here's what you get to do. There's, there's kind of four ways that you react to the disappointments of life. Number one is this, is you just blame the person. Like, that's what we do. And when you blame the person, this is what you end up saying. Well, she just must not have been the one. I'll go find the other one. I'll go find the new one. I'll go find the true, well, we talked about the one, didn't we? There's no such thing as the one. It's an impossibility for there to be only the one. But what you do is, is when you end up disappointed, you say, well, it was her fault. It was his fault. You blame the person. Number two is this, is you just blame yourself. You, just, you go into self-loathing. You say, you get shamed. You say, there must be something wrong with me. It's my fault. I'm broken. I'm unlovable. I can't do this. I'm not third part you blame the world you've seen people like this love just doesn't work marriage just doesn't work there's just no as a matter of fact here here's the funny thing about it is that there are certain guys like i know a guy in life who refused to open up his heart he refused to trust women he had been burned so badly he didn't ever want to get married again he basically lived a life of having meaningless meaningless sex and relationships from that day on because he said i will never let a woman do that to me again and you know what here, here's the funny thing that guy is just as controlled by love as the person who desperately longs for it and, and seeks from person to person to person finding it that way they all have the same idol. It is the idol of saying, I so badly need to be loved and to be accepted, and so I become controlled by it. And this guy was controlled by, he's just controlled by the fear of it. Either way, it's become an idol. It's become a thing that has become the ultimate thing and taken, been taking him away from his true priority. Either way, it's an idol. So you blame the world, and you say, well, it's the world, love doesn't work. Here's the reality. This is the fourth and the only healthy response, the only true response, and the response that you and I all need to take to heart today. It's number four is this, is to turn the focus of our life toward God. That's it. You got four ways you can respond to the idol of love and romance. You got four. Because eventually you're gonna be disappointed. I know that you will, you know that you will. You're gonna blame yourself, you're gonna blame somebody else, you're gonna blame the world. But, but, what if in your heart we just all recognize? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to look, especially they are single out here. I want you to begin to look at every dating prospect and realize this. He may be a great guy. He may be the best guy. He may turn out to be your husband, but he is not your life. Christ is your life. 
Guys, when you're dating and you think that girl is so just, she's like Rachel, you know what I'm saying? Smoking hot. Loves Jesus. Reads her Bible. Cooks a crazy mean steak. I mean, she's just everything. She may be great. She may be the best. She may be the one that you marry and spend, but she's not your life. Christ is your life. She can't meet all those deep needs. Only God can meet those deep needs. And until you realize that, you will chase down every single idol that you can trying to get someone or something or some emotion or some feeling to meet that deep desire of your soul. C.S. Lewis later said it like this. He said, if I find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, something supernatural, even eternal. So here's the reality. I want to read you the rest of the story here. The Bible says that, that Leah went about it the wrong way. Everybody say, but. And I'm going to close up shop here. I don't, maybe I've been preaching too long. The story's too good. But he, here's how it ends. So in verse 35, the Bible says, so she, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, he said, this time I will praise the Lord. I told you I like Leah by the end of the story. This time. Different. She always, here's what's fascinating, is the Bible talks about how she turned to the Lord. Even through the midst of all this, she hadn't gotten all, like, she hadn't figured it all out yet. Does that make sense? Like, you can be trying to follow Jesus and be turning to the Lord and still have idols in your heart. You can. But eventually, because she actually calls on the name of the Lord. It's the Hebrew word, uh, it, it's the four letters, yud heh vah the, it's, the, it's the personal name of God. Well, here's the thing. She'd never been told that by anybody else other than maybe Jacob. Like, she didn't grow up. But you got to remember, like, who, who did God reveal his name to? To Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. So, so she literally hears the story of God from, from her husband that doesn't love her. And she, in her heart, turns towards the Lord and begins to call on the Lord to help her through this situation. And by the time she gets to the fourth, shin, to the fourth son, I think she figured it out. Because she goes, you know, this time, I'm just going to praise the Lord. I'm not going to look for my husband to give me everything that I need because he'll always fall short. I'm not going to look to my husband to, to love and unconditionally accept me. He, he's fallen short. Only God can meet those deep needs. And she goes, this time, I will praise the Lord. And so she named her fourth son Judah, which means praise. I'm telling you, there's only one right response, and Leah finds it. She goes, no, no, in your heart, you have to, see, you've got to, again, you've got to restore God to his proper place in your life. And some of you didn't even know you had that idol. There are some of you in here today who this is a shocker. Some of you, it was whiplash today. Some of you, it hits you. And all of a sudden, you start thinking about that guy and that girl and that relationship and the story of yours. It's not like Jacob and Leah, because that's crazy. But yours is a little crazy. Because then you start looking like, I went from that guy to I was with that girl. And then I was with, oh, man. I did that, and I, I did that, and then I did that. I have an idol in my heart. I, I, I got a scarecrow up in my melon patch. Here's what I want you to, to walk away with today. Because here's the real solution. You and I all have those same deep needs that only God can meet. There, there are two different people in this room and only two different people in terms of these categories. There are some of you that will walk out of this door and for the rest of your life, you will live for love. Longing to be loved, needing to be loved, desperately seeking for, longing to be loved. Others of you will walk out of this place and you will live from love. That's where I want you to be today. See, here's what you need to know. This is so good. This is, hopefully this is gonna set somebody free today. 
you're already loved. You're already accepted. You already got it. Some of you have spiritual amnesia. You think desperately so badly, I need this, I need identity, and I need security. And if I find it with him, or if I find it with her, or if, I, if, if, if I'm loved, and I'm accepted, and I have these sexual desires, I have, I'll have it all. You have spiritual amnesia. You already have all those things. When you are with Jesus, you're already accepted. But even though you're already accepted, you go out and you live for acceptance and you long for it and you desire it and it becomes the idol of your heart. And, and there are others of you that today, I hope you get the revelation. I hope it clicks. I hope like if you're a cartoon, there's a light bulb that and you walk out here and you realize, I'm already loved. I'm already accepted. I'm already secure in God. I'm, I already have all the things that I ever needed and is even inside of me through the Holy Spirit. It's already there. You don't believe me? Listen to this. Colossians chapter 3. The Bible says, since then. That means something's happened. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. So set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you, for you died, and your life is now where it is hidden with Christ in God. You're already accepted. You're already up in the club. You got the VIP membership. You got everything you ever needed in life, and it's right there at your fingertips. But as long as you keep turning towards that idol and that thing, you always come up disappointed. Your father has, listen, listen, listen. Think about Leah as this, and we'll close here. Leah was the one rejected, despised, unloved, and unwelcomed. 2,000 years ago, there was a baby born in a manger. Common, regular. He was later despised and rejected, unwelcomed and unwanted by his own people, by his own world. The Bible says that the light shined into the darkness. They didn't want it. Jesus becomes that thing that, that, that made the ultimate sacrifice for you so that you could be fully loved and fully accepted and you already have in him everything that you need. Let's pray this morning. God dearly loves you. You keep chasing after that love from somewhere else, you're going to wind up with more heartache, more dysfunction, more issues, more brokenness. And you know what? At the end of the day, you're just going to find yourself wanting and longing, and eventually, eventually, I hope you find God and know that it is all in Him, and it has always been in Him, and He has been waiting on you this time. But there are some of you who are here today, and today's the day. Today's the day you need to say, you know what? I've been looking for love in all the wrong places. I think that's a country song. I've been looking for love in all the wrong places. It was already in him. There's an old Dean Martin song. I think Michael Buble even redid it. It was a song that encapsulates what I'm talking about, and it went like this. You're nothing until somebody loves you. And that's the lie many of us have believed. That's the deception many of us have bought into. We live our whole life thinking, I'm nothing until somebody loves me. I'm nothing until I have him, have her, have that relationship, have that marriage, have that. And I'm telling you, only God can meet those deep needs. And so right now, in, in your own way, in your heart, I want you to turn towards God and just say, God, I need you in my heart. God, it's you. It's always been you. It's only you. Father, we turn to you now. God, we, we repent. God, we wreck. Some of us today, it was, it was a shocker. 
when we looked at all the relationships and all the decisions and all the mistakes and we looked at it, we were chasing down an idol. God, we had a scarecrow up in our melon patch. We were looking for love in all the wrong places and all that time it was right there with you. And God, we repent. We didn't know. We missed it. We were duped. We were deceived. But God, we know now we need in our heart to turn towards you. We need you in our lives, God. We thank you that in you we are fully loved. In you we are fully accepted. In you we are fully empowered, God. Yeah, uh, yeah, we need friendships, and yes, we want good, healthy relationships and good, healthy marriages, but God, they're not the ultimate thing. God, only you are the ultimate thing. God, help us. God, help us. Last week, I said these three things. I said that when we remove the idols from our heart, it, it's not that we just remove it but we actually need to replace it. We need to take down the idol of, of, of romance and sex and love and replace it with the one true God. And we need to make God the priority of all things. We need to make him the centerpiece of how we live life practically. And we need to make everything smaller than God in perspective. And in doing so, we will restore God to his proper place in our lives. So God, we declare you're the ultimate thing. There's no one but you. And we thank you that, God, that's enough. And so if we never get that and we never get this and it never works out the way that we thought it to, God, we are fully satisfied in you. Jesus, you are more than enough. It is in your holy and precious name that we pray. And we all said, amen.